we're going to get to that. Totally. I know. There's so many, there's like, so there's many, so many parents, their timelines. <laughs> You're Jesus. bringing in all these boxes to I know, unpack, I'm sorry. Nico. That's there's fine. So That's many, why we're so here. so many corpses. <laughs> Just a pile of do? corpses. <laughs> Doc says there's something wrong with me. I got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. My guest on this episode has appeared on comedy programs like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and At Midnight. She's done voice acting on Aqua Teen Hunger Force, but she's probably better known for singing really pretty, like this song, I Wish I Was the Moon. Chimney falls and lovers blaze Thought that I was young Now I've freezing hands and bloodless veins As numb as I've become I'm so tired I wish I was the moon tonight I'm Nico Case. We are in the basement of the theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Palace Theater. The Palace Theater, which is huge and has no windows. So it's su- it looks like a super secret bunker. <laughs> I traveled a full two blocks for this interview to talk to Nico, who is playing a sold-out show at the Palace Theater in St. Paul. Nico Case has released eight solo studio albums, the most recent called Hell On, plus numerous collaborations, including in the band The New Pornographers. She's been nominated for Grammy Awards. Her work is as beloved by critics as it is by audiences. When we spoke, she had just been loudly defending the Steve Miller Band on Twitter. The man can sing. And he is a great guitar player, and the musicians he works with are incredible, and his records sound so, like, it's one of those things where I hadn't listened to it for a long time, and you kind of take it for granted when you hear certain music your whole life, but I put it on in my house one day, and I was like, sonically, those sounds actually make my ears feel good. Mm. You know, like, there's a lot of modern technology where we uh, boost kind of irritating frequencies to the human ear, or super bass frequencies that are that put pressure on you which is a cool thing to do you know because it's a very different sensory experience but there's something about a steve miller recording that's like slipping a werther's into your mouth <laughs> and maybe taking a little sip of coffee and like rubbing it around just in there. goes down easy it is so sweet and easy John, why do you start off this interview talking about the Steve Miller Band? Because Nico Case takes this thing that you think you know and presents it in a new perspective and then instantly calls up the best analogous imagery to seal the deal. Born in Alexandria, Virginia, only because my father was in the Air Force. And then I kind of spent my young years ping-ponging up and down the West Coast in many cities my parents were divorced. And so my mom would move around with my stepdad, who was an archaeologist. So, and then my dad, you know, moved a couple of times as well. So. And then when did you end up in Tacoma? 
Um, I think I was about 14-ish. I was right outside Tacoma and then was in Tacoma very shortly after that. Where outside Tacoma? Near Gig Harbor. Okay. I lived in a place called Olala. I grew up in the same part of the country as Nico around the same time. We didn't know each other. Olala, sure. Mm -hmm. And I also lived in the horrible town of Purdy, Washington, which is... The misnamed Purdy, Washington. A toilet. It's home of the women's prison. Vancouver, Washington and Purdy are tied for my number one most hated places And when did you live in Vancouver, Washington? Uh, Grade four through grade eight. Dude, it's the grimy, rapey, weird, mean, petty. It was just awful. Were you living with your mom in both Tacoma and Vancouver? I lived with my dad in Vancouver. And when I left home, I lived in Tacoma. When did you leave home? I was like 15. What? And you went to Tacoma? Yeah. My friend's mom let me live in her basement because her son had moved to Cleveland. And so there was a space available and she was kind enough to let me live there. And did you go to high school? I really tried. <laughs> I was going to high school, but I was trying to find a job and I couldn't find one. And, and I came close on a bunch and then they would say, we can't, you're only 15. And I was so hungry. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to go to school for a while and I was literally, it was that simple. Too hungry, can't study, can't concentrate, tired all the time. So I just dropped out because it was too hard. I felt like a massive failure. Like it was totally my fault. Leaving home at 15, too exhausted trying to survive to even make it through a day of 10th grade. And feeling like all this is somehow her fault. Hi, depression. I see you've joined us. Moving out wasn't teenage rebellion in this case. It was survival. Huge amount of alcoholism and abuse and just weird drugs in the house, weird people in the house. This was at my mom and her boyfriend's. I think that was Purdy, Washington. What kind of abuse? Lots of neglect, weird physical abuse, like thanks to her boyfriend and uh, devastating, like knowing that there was nothing, like being trapped in a prison and like there's nothing you can do. And every way you turn, everything's a dead end, pretty much. Like, I remember talking to a counselor about something truly heinous. And she looked at me and said, I don't even know what to say to that. And I was like, okay, I'll just keep internalizing that one. Or I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to carry it around. And then, you know, just like I would walk around with a knife all the time. Like, I, you know, there was weird, like people in our neighborhood. And it's funny. Um, I actually met this awesome woman who was the new pornographer's tour manager a few years ago. And it turns out she was from Purdy too. Mm. And I was like, was there a dude that drove an El Camino that would like drive around and like sit in your driveway? And she was like, yes. So there was like this predator, like my parents were never there. Like they were just getting wasted. So, uh, It's really scary when you're like at home on the couch watching TV before you go to bed, you got school the next day and like somebody comes with their, you know, V8, like the driveway slanted right down to the windows of the front, the front living room. And he would put his brights on and just rev his engine. It was terrifying. There were drugs in her mom's house. Her dad smoked a lot of pot. Nico ditched those homes, but took along some of their habits. 
yeah, I would do any drug there was. I, I just wanted to be like shoved onto a different path. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that I wanted to die or that I wanted to not exist. It was that I wanted to be pushed into a different section of my life somehow. It was like, okay, I'm going to hang out with these people who are like-minded and we enjoy getting super wasted on LSD and then drinking a bunch or, you know, it would be fun today to smoke a bunch of PCP and drink rum on the city bus and ride around town all day instead of going to school, <laughs> you know? This is when you're 15. Uh, that was probably 16, 16, but yeah. It's interesting how people often have this instinct to just make things different, to improve the best they can given the circumstances. And it can take so many forms, from meditation to therapy to Prozac to PCP on a bus, but it's the same instinct of not this, something else. For Nico, the bus thing was not a long-term solution. What propelled you into the next stage? Like, did you find music around this music time? Music saved my ass big time. How did and, that come about? Well, I, I think from pretty early on, I really loved music really hard. And it wasn't one of those things that like growing up in the Reagan era with no parents, you're like, you know, music might be a good thing for me. <laughs> this might be great. There's no um, SoundCloud or garage. Band no, available. no, no, no. And, uh, MTV happened and, Listening and looking, I just became super obsessed. And I, re- I memorized all the stats about everyone. And it was cool to see Martha Quinn on the screen, you know. And and then I just got really into punk rock and new wave. And I found kind of like-minded people around me and met a lot of people through this uh, rock club in Tacoma, Washington called the Community World Theater, which was uh, run by my friend Jim May. And everybody around him was really positive and excited about music. So it was, it was kind of a, a beautiful goal mm-hmm. at the end of the week or the end of the day. Or it was something I could think about all the time. Like, oh, I, they said I could design the poster for that show. You know, things like that. Were I you felt, making music at that time? No. You no, were but just I, part of the scene. Yeah, I, I tried to help out. I don't know that I was that helpful, but like I would make posters and it made me feel kind of important or needed or something. Mm-hmm. And they put up with me, which was really sweet. Cause you know, I got really lucky. Like a lot of the dudes like Jim and his friends who are still my friends to this day, you know, they were guys in their mid to late twenties, early thirties, and they weren't there to like, uh, prey on kids. They were there because they loved the music and they kind of made a, a safe space did that get you off the PCP bus rides? Yeah. Like, I think I also just had kind of a practical outlook of drugs are a lot of work and getting them is really irritating. And you have to go to a different County sometimes and hitchhike like, fuck that shit. It's not fun. It's not fun. It's so not fun. And then sometimes it doesn't even work and you're like super high and somebody's Toyota tiny truck going like 90. You don't know why. Yeah. It's no good. You're in Tukwila and you don't know what you're, you're doing You're in Tukwila or worse, Port Orchard. Port Orchard. But like between Port Orchard and somewhere else, which yeah. is like, you just don't know. Just that, that weird space between Port Orchard and Gig Harbor. Yes. Anything can happen. Yeah. It's a dark void. Yeah. A mm-hmm. logger will kill you if you stop the car. 
Anybody will kill Anybody you will kill if you, you stop the car. Plenty of murderers available. You just never know. You never know. Who's coming. Everyone talks about the Pacific Northwest being this high-tech place with Microsoft and Amazon or coffee or grunge music. But it can feel, especially out where Nico grew up, very murdery. Part of that is the gray skies and rain, and part of it is all the murderers. We have a lot of murderers. When Nico Case was 17, she had enough friends to start a band. In my friend Greg's uh, kind of apartment house that he had, and it was great because he was like right on the edge of the city and the country, and the way you'd go into the house slash recording studio was a big sliding glass door. And his neighbors had this super dirty female turkey and she would come (laughs) over and like really wanted to come in. Wow. So we'd let her in for band practice and she would go, well, she would just come in and gobble and then she would kind of leave. And she was so dirty and huge and would leave these big poos outside. We loved her though. She was a good one. (laughs) Um, It was just weird and excellent. You were a drummer at first, right? Yes. I was a very aggressive kid and wanted to play drums so bad. For the physicality of it? The physicality of it, yeah. And then later, playing in front of people, it was definitely a nice barrier for someone who's shy to be behind drums. Wait, you were shy? Oh, God, I was so shy. That doesn't. I don't think that's like my natural state. I think it was a defensive state for a long time. And for the first time in her life, things start to work out there in Tacoma. The community was just great, and I lived there very happily for many years, being poor as fuck. But I don't know. My friends and neighbors were so great, and, you know, we knew we were the underdog. We knew people hated us, but we knew how great our town was. Like, what choice do you have? You know, you either think your town is great or you find the things that are great about it, or you just melt Uh into a pile of goo. I don't know. Nico still loves Tacoma. This is from Thrice All-American, off her 2000 album, Furnace Room Lullaby. Runaway from Purdy was getting her life together, and that meant art school in Vancouver, Canada. A note very different from Vancouver, Washington. It's like the difference between Moscow, Russia, and Moscow, Idaho. Bigger, fancier, nicer. I had just started taking Ritalin, too, which totally factors into the depression thing, which I had no idea that I had ADD so bad. Like, so bad. How old were you when you got on Ritalin? I think I was about 19. No, no, no. I was about, yeah, 19. And uh, I went from just, like, kind of fucking everything up to, like, being a straight-A student on the dean's list in a couple months. Hmm. Like, I understood everything at school. I loved school. But, like, waking up and sleeping were really difficult things to manage. And of course, up until that time, when I look back on my life before that, I was like, oh my God, all through school, I just thought I was this really stupid person. I thought I was so stupid. And then coupled with being a girl and not being wanted by your parents, you're just like, yeah, I'm a massive fuck up. 
and you just think that all the time and your teachers don't, I mean, I had a couple of teachers that were really supportive and were like, you're good in there. What's going on with you? Um, but so I think just realizing that I wasn't a stupid person and that I just had a thing where my brain was functioning differently than other people. That was like a massive sunrise for me. Mm-hmm. I I didn't feel any sort of stigma or anything. I was like, okay, this is total vindication. Like I knew I could understand these things and do these things. And I really genuinely are, are just am so interested in everything. And so I started to do well. And then I went to Vancouver because like I was rabid to learn and to figure out how all these things went together and how I could make myself a person who could manage my life. I've revenged myself all over myself. There's nothing you can do to me. You never have it at the right angle. You never have it at the right angle. Catch a, catch a, catch a, catch a falling star. Wash your hands of it. Catch a, catch a, catch a, catch a falling star. Because you can't. That's a song called Night Still Comes. When did you start to sing? Well, I always sang when I was alone. I loved singing along with records, and I'm sure that music had everything to do with that. Like, it was kind of like... I don't know. It just, it made me feel so good. It was definitely like a stimulant in a good way. Did you know you were good at it? No. No, I just knew that I wanted it so bad. And I think I was a chronic visualizer, which is also sometimes called daydreaming and flaky (laughs) when you're a kid in school in the Reagan era. So I remember that one too. Um, So I somehow just through sheer force of will got in bands and played music and continued in college. So at this point, a focused Nico goes to college and makes music and everything works out. The end. Ha! No! Because depression might wait, but eventually it runs out of patience. More in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We like having some laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying it a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. 
just a brief shout out of gratitude to all of our sponsors. You know, a lot of times with our sponsors, you'll hear me give a promotional code or something like that to use at checkout. Use promo code hilarious, that kind of thing. I just want to point out that those are important and great to use because when you use those, not only do you get these really wonderful deals, but it really helps us. Sponsors see that Hilarious World listeners are a great audience that buys things and signs up for things. Then those sponsors want to keep sponsoring us. See? And that keeps the show strong, keeps it going. So use those codes, shop at those sponsors. It's like voting for this program. It helps. It is very important support. Thanks. It's 3.03? Okay. Are we... Do we have... You, no, we, we're fine. We're fine. Okay. Um, what time does it say up there our set, our uh, sound check Sound check at four. Oh, well, it's only three. We're fine. Okay. Um, you take as long as you need. There you go. I um, love depression. <laughs> let's let's luxuriate. Ta- yeah, let's get cozy. <laughs> The Needle Has Landed off the 2006 album Fox Confessor Brings the Flood. Back with Nico Case, Vancouver, Canada, where she went to art school, was also where she joined the band Mao as drummer and sometimes singer. song was Ms. Lefevre. And Nico started singing solo, which people liked a lot because she's great at it. She joined up with the New Pornographers, a band she still records and performs with today. This is their song, Letter from an Occupant. she graduated. And then I had to move back to the States because I'm not a Canadian citizen. And so I remember moving back to Seattle and of course it wasn't affordable. I had a few friends left there, but it was literally the last gasp of when an artist could maybe live there. This was like 1998. You know, Vancouver had become my home and I had a massive community of musicians and friends. So it felt super weird to suddenly be back in Seattle where, you know, there's a good music community, but most of like most of those people were gone or living elsewhere or, you know, had become really successful and lived in fancy neighborhoods. And like, you just didn't see them anymore. I don't know. I wasn't happy. Left Seattle for Chicago, later moved to Tucson, but she toured a lot. She worked relentlessly. Her discography takes forever to read. And her records sold well. She was playing bigger venues, rave reviews. I didn't really 
think about depression until probably 2010. Really? Because I was always able to kind of outrun it just Ah. by working really hard. Going on tour was a really great thing. And, you know, I would feel batshit horrible sometimes, but work could always distract me enough. What were the things that you were tamping down that uh, you were feeling that you would come to understand better later on? Anxiety, restlessness, uh, needing to be loved and seeing that as a weakness. Um, yeah, the need for affection and comfort and love. Yeah. I just thought that was weakness. Did you seek that out? Oh, yeah. And super like, uh, super, you know, not healthy ways, like, you know, being fairly promiscuous and not really knowing why, but it's like, I I need to be loved. Like, I'm not a sex addict. I just, I want to be loved and like held on to, you know what I mean? And part of that is being young. And then part of that is being an actual human being who is also an animal species. Like there are things we cannot live without. Mm -hmm. So I feel zero shame in those years. I made a lot of terrible decisions that are super embarrassing, (laughs) but I like to laugh about them now. The idea of relationships between men and women, that comes up a lot in all kinds of music, of course. But with Nico, there are also songs about what it means to be a woman or a man in modern society. Part of Nico's journey to discovering who she was involved ditching certain gender constructs. I was a dude. As far as I was concerned, I liked the same things. I wanted to do the same things. I was into music. I was into gear. I was into fucking 60s cars. Like I I was into stuff that traditionally women aren't into. Like I didn't give a fuck about nail polish or talking about nail polish or any of those things. Like I wanted to be a touring musician. Like I, I just didn't know that that's what all those parts added up to. I wasn't trying to vampire what they were entitled to do. Cause I just, I wouldn't have put that math together, but what do you mean by vampire? Like I wasn't trying to take what was theirs. I, I just, I wanted to be doing that too. And it so happened that I was hanging around with all these guys and a lot of them played music and some of them were fucking dicks who thought girls were shit and couldn't, you know, do anything like that. But then luckily in the rest of my life, like I said, you know, Jim May and everybody involved in community world theater, those guys were massive feminists and, you know, they, Jim would try to book bands with women in them and there just weren't that many. Like last night I had this crazy moment of like tears because uh, Tao had just showed up. Tao Win of the band Tao and the Get Down Stay Down was opening for Nico at the Palace Theater that night. I was like, oh shit, look at all of her guitars. She's a badass motherfucker. And then I realized that like 
in my band right now, myself, Rachel, and Shelly also play several instruments throughout the night. When I was 16 years old, there would not have been four women playing guitar in one night on a stage. Never. There might have been one, maybe two in like a year. I saw uh, Janelle Monet a couple years ago. Uh, we opened for them in Outcast at the Swedish festival. And half of her band are women. And the bass player, she was like 20 years old. And I and the backup singers were really young too. And I remember like these young women are just standing there backstage and this crazy like white lady is going, I, we didn't have this when I was young. You guys got to understand how beautiful this is. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Like crying at them. And they're like, thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm the terror. I'm that terrifying lady now. Yeah. But like the future's fucking awesome. So like if I could tell my 16 year old self, it was really going to happen or that I would be doing it. Right. I wouldn't have believed it. Society got on the right track. Nico's personal life and her mental health were more complicated, rockier. She went through a three year period of great upheaval, beginning with her dad. Well, most of my life, he just smoked pot chronically. Yeah. Like self-medicated. He self-medicated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's very out of it. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, he went to work for years and years and years and years and it didn't like, besides being super lonely and ha having a parent who didn't give a shit if you were there or not, like it didn't seem abnormal or maybe that's not what other people lived with. I, I just figured, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know any different. Yeah. Whatever you get is your normal. Yeah. In 2007, things got worse. He was having a lot of mental illness and he was kind of scary and he wouldn't accept any help. And it was one of those things where somebody becomes mentally ill in a way that they won't accept help from you, yet insist you watch them contort themselves to death. So I had to just say, you know what, I, I'm done with this. I've been dealing with this my whole life and I'm done now. Like, if you want help, I'm here, but I can't hang around for this. I'm sorry. You know, because I think he was so paranoid about getting arrested for marijuana or being trouble for it. He just started drinking really heavily. Mm. And uh, then he finally killed himself. Three years later, Nico's mom died. And what happened with your mom? She died. I, I don't, I'm not really sure. Really? Like, I was so out of touch with her by that point. How long had it we been? We had divorced yeah. a couple years prior. What or I divorced her. What led like to it. the divorce? She was kind of a grifter, kind of a user, and just one of those people that, like, takes the victim card and runs with it. Like, they don't ever fully look at themselves, and they don't realize that, like, Yes, it is our parents and what we go through do influence us and hurt us and make us ill-equipped for things. But at a certain point, when you're spraying your your bad experience all over everyone else, you're, you have a responsibility to try to do something about it. And you can ask your family for help and you can get help, but she was very much like my dad, but in a very different way. Like, no, you will all suffer, <laughs> you know? 
And it was one of those things. It's one of those things that's like really, it's hard to get people in the family to believe it because she's such a nice person, quote unquote. It was one of those kind of gaslighty situations. And uh, I don't know. I was just smart enough finally to just go, you know what? You're a fucking asshole. And like, I am not mad at you for having a kid too young or not wanting your kid, but I'm really fucking mad at you for coming back at me and wanting things and taking things. And then like, I'm not here to like, I know she would try to get in by wanting to be a mom. And I, she knows that I was so, I just wanted to be her daughter so bad. And, but then it's like, see ya. Yeah. So I was finally, and you know, it's much deeper and uglier than that. But I finally just was like, go fuck yourself. Remember, Nico has spent most of her life by this point burying herself in work. Between her dad's suicide and her mom's death, she released Middle Cyclone, an album that hit number three on the charts and number one on the indie charts. So she's touring everywhere. She's selling out venues. And all of this, the parents and the business and the touring, that is a lot for a mind to keep up with. Then in 2010, she also lost her grandmother, who was the one person who had always been kind and loving to her. The last time I saw her in person, we went to dinner at like Black Angus, which was like in my childhood, the restaurant where the millionaires must go in my mind. The bread is so thick with the garlic on it. This must be where like people on Dallas go. The president must eat here. Yeah, the president must eat here. So we went there and she's like, sweetie, could you help me to the bathroom? And I was like, oh yeah. So we get up and I'm helping her to the bathroom and she goes, there's no way I'm making it all the way to the bathroom. I just do this for show. And I was like, you're the fucking funniest person I've ever met. And I was like, there's nothing sad about getting older. Nothing. Yeah. Like I am ready to wear the diaper and pretend to go to the bathroom. But she and I were like literally peeing ourselves, but we were also peeing ourselves laughing. It was so funny. (laughs) I just do this for show. Nico Case was 40 had been through dangerous homes, drugs, discovered music, met a turkey, got on Ritalin, went to art school, made records, became a real live rock star, and lost both parents and her grandmother. Finally, depression kicked down the door and demanded to be recognized. Your body finally just goes, listen, I'm the depression, I'm here, you're going to pay attention to me. And whether you like it or not. So it's like work isn't waylaying the feeling anymore. I started dating somebody who was basically my mom, just like super mentally abusive. Luckily, that was very short-lived. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I think I cried so hard, I actually pissed myself at one point. And I was like, dude, you're pretty, strong. you're pretty strong. You just peed yourself, like crying. Did you know what you were crying about? Oh, I was crying about everything. Everything. Was that new? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so what I definitely it- knew already that I was very sad about being young, but you know, I, I was happy enough about the rest of my life. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I had to live there forever like some do. So that was a real, I don't want to use the word blessing cause I fucking hate that word. It, it was, it was a helpful tool knowing that I didn't have to live in my childhood forever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, like I didn't get to pick how the depression was going to go. I only got to go, okay, I'm going to show up every day, punch the clock, go through my day, do whatever I can to be nice to myself. And I'm just going to have to self-examine and deal with this. Did you know when, you know, when you cried that hard or when things were, things really hit hard, did you say, oh, this is called depression. This is a, a thing people have. Or did you just think this is me and my own unique circumstance? No, I definitely identified it as depression. Okay. You know, and I think a lot of that had to do with my dad. I'm like, yeah, you know, we share a lot of the same DNA and we don't even have to share the same DNA to have depression. Every human being is totally capable. And mm, I don't know, there was a lot of other things too. Like I just felt like a ghost in my own life. I remember being in a club in Virginia playing with the band in Richmond and like everybody standing around playing pool and having fun. And I was like, I wish I was having fun right now. Like I want to be with them so bad. I just felt like this weird detached, like I was in a Ziploc bag, but with everyone, like just wearing a life condom <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I went. <laughs> and I wanted, I didn't want to be wearing it. Yeah. I wanted to go nude. <laughs> I wanted to take the risks. <laughs> I was still wearing this shitty life condom. Depression. I did not. Your mind's it. shitty life condom. Yeah. It's a real drag. That's probably as far as I want to extend that particular analogy. So Nico Case had depression, knew it, set about to treat it. I was taking Zoloft at the time, and what the doctor didn't tell me was it wears off. So there was one point where I got really freaked out and upset and finally got into another doctor, which took forever. Like, we do not have the resources for people who need help with mental health at all. Like being put on a six month waiting list is, I think it's kind of a death sentence sometimes. I spoke to a couple people and eventually got into a really good doctor who figured out a different medication and like, hey, you know, your ADD is pretty bad, which totally fuels your anxiety. So we're going to switch you to this other thing. It really helped majorly. And, you know, I still wasn't happy. But I was a lot better at going through my day and functioning. Yeah. And I knew that functioning wasn't good enough either. Uh, but I realized that if I tried to push myself and pretend that I was functioning at a way better level, that I would be damaging myself. It was like, nah, just stay at your level. I'm going to hold you back a grade for a while. So don't be ashamed. Just stay back in first grade for as long as you need to. It's okay. And luckily I had animals too. Yeah. Animals, like, they don't give a shit what's wrong with you. They're like, I still need to go to the toilet. You got to get out of bed no matter what, you, how shitty you feel. Animals are a part of another change Nico made. You live in Vermont. You have, mm. uh, do you live on a farm or do you just live with a ton of animals? Well, I had a farm, but then it burned down. Okay. So my animals are being taken care of by friends right now. Okay. But Yes, I still have them. I mean, it's about as far away from Tacoma as you could geographically get. And it just, it just seems like you've kind of created a calmer world for yourself up in Vermont. Absolutely. And, and was that intentional? Like, this yes. is what I want to make? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always, like my grandmother, who I was really close to, she lived on a farm most of her life. Um, my grandfather had lived on that farm. Like, he was born there. 
my step grandfather actually, uh, and he was the loveliest guy. Ooh, so I had really nice times, and those were my favorite times of being a kid. So I really missed cows and dogs and cats and all that stuff. And there was a brief time when I lived in Vermont as a kid, like in sixth grade and fifth grade. And uh, I went to a school with 30 kids in it. It was very Norman Rockwell, America. Everyone was poor. Nobody gave a shit what you wore. Kids went outside. It was the greatest time of my life. The neighbors were friendly. People talked to you. Like, it was the best time of my whole life. I made friends that I still have. And every time we would drive through Vermont, even as an adult, like going on tour, my heart would just break. I'd be like, oh, this is where I want to be. And then one year I went uh, with uh, my dear friend, stuntman Nate. I was like, let's go somewhere for your birthday. And he was like, awesome. What are we going to do? And I I said, well, let's go somewhere where we never hang out. So we kind of looked at a bunch of cities and we're like, let's go to Portland, Maine. We never hang out there. I, I don't even think I've been there. So we went to Portland, Maine. We're having a killer time for his birthday and we had rented this car. So I realized we were only a few hours from where I lived in Vermont. And I was so scared that the farm I lived on there was going to be bulldozed and it would have been all developed. But we went and we found it and we visited it. And like, not only had no one moved, no one had died. And we drove up to the front of the old farmhouse. The woman who bought it after we left was in the driveway. And I was like, Oh my God, are you? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I remember you. And uh, I said, well, does so-and-so still live up the street? She's like, yeah, they're right up there. So we went over there and said hello and met all the people again. And I was like, every, like no one had aged either. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, they're doing something properly up there. So I started looking for, I just looked to see if it was cheap there. And it was. So was Vermont like this? This idea to get up there, that's part of your your healing process. Probably. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's something about nature that's like this extra helpful lung and liver combined where when you go out in it, it just cleans stuff out of you. Mm-hmm. It like lowers your blood pressure and, you know, seeing little changes that happen every single day in a natural setting <clears throat> is really grounding. I think a lot of people... You know, maybe they go to the therapist once in a while, they take their pills, then they, you know, because of life circumstances, they go on with all the things that were causing them trouble because maybe they, they can't not do that. And I just think it's so cool that you've kind of immersed yourself in this happier version of you, of who you were. Like you found a, a simple, true version of yourself in Vermont, and then you went back to it. Well, I think I was lucky enough to know what made me happy. And I, I, I often see people who are kind of just figuring out what makes them happy. Like people don't really think about researching themselves because mm-hmm. it seems like something that is impossible almost, but like studying themselves mm-hmm. and really indulging in that. Like it's not a selfish thing. It's like, how can I be the best human I can be? Well, being happy really, or not like happy is not a constant state, obviously, but like what makes me function the best? I seem to be at a, a good, happy spot most of the time if I have this, 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 and this. And, you know, 
going to a different job or stopping eating something you're allergic to. Like it can be that simple, but there's a lot, or all those things, you know, I I wish people sometimes were more self-aware and kind of gave themselves permission to be more self-aware and didn't think like the stigma of it being weak and all this other stuff, as you know, and I'm sure you talk about all the time is such a fucking lead weight hindrance on every human being. It is. In case you missed it, Nico has a close friend named Stuntman Nate. I don't know his real name, but if people call you Stuntman Nate, why even have any other name? She mentioned how when she first got adequately treated for her depression, it didn't solve everything. It just made her functional. And that was a few years ago. So is she doing better now? Yes. I'm at a really good place now. And, you know, it is totally possible to pull out of that and... I'm sure like, I don't know if you feel this way, but like the only thing I'm afraid of on this fucking earth is going back to that place. Mm. And I'm ready to go back to that place. I feel more prepared and equipped to go there. Like I feel like if I went there again, I could get out of it probably, but you just don't know because it is really a strange world. Yeah, And I definitely look back at, you know, childhood and can now identify parts of my life where I was as depressed as I was from 2010 to like 2015. Along with feeling better has come a better way of making music. That was the case in making her most recent album, Hell On, which felt very different than her last one, 2013's The Worst Things Get, The Harder I Fight, The Harder I Fight, The More I Love You. I hadn't made a record since Middle Cyclone where... I felt present Hmm. and regaining that presence made me look on it differently and I didn't take it for granted at all. What do you mean you, you weren't present? Well, I mean, for example, when I was making the worst things get, I was really depressed and like that record was made in spite of depression, not about it or for it or to be a catharsis. It was me going to work every day and I wouldn't have put it out if I didn't think I wouldn't have just like thrown it out there like, okay, it's done. So that, that record took a long time, the longest time of any record I made because with that weird heavy gray suit on, it was just harder to do a lot of things. And so I was second guessed a lot of decisions too, but I think work is definitely like something that is part of my natural state. Like I like to make stuff Mm -hmm. and you know, the thing in art school that was a great lesson to learn was when you have an idea, it's great to push the idea. Like people can make art all day long with an idea, but it's the people who push the idea. And it, like, it's almost like a painful process. To like, see how far or how complete yeah, it can be. You know, or if you can make an innovation with it or you really push yourself past your, out of your comfort zone or whatever that means, that's where you do something that is kind of more honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know exactly how to explain that, but it's definitely, this time I just saw what I was taking for granted all these years. Bad luck. Bad luck. Bad luck. Bad luck. Bad luck. 
off her album Hell On. This is Bad Luck. Having traced Nico's life from struggling and a rough home in Purdy to thriving and an idyllic existence in Vermont, I had only one topic left to ask Nico Case about, cartoons. Nico Case loves cartoons. She watches a lot of cartoons. One of the greatest helping factors during that big depression. I mean, I grew, grew up as a kid who was alone in the house all the time, so obviously I watched a shit ton of cartoons. And, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny is kind of a family member. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think of him as separate from me or the world of the living at all. I, he's, it's an extension he's of your a, mind. He's a hot guy. Love him. And uh, and when he dresses up as Lady Bunny, he's well, a hot girl. Exactly. And Bugs Bunny, he didn't give a fuck about gender. <laughs> he was just blazing, blazing across the sky. Yeah. Like a foxy, hilarious comet. And his feet looked like he was wearing Chuck Taylors. So I think that's why I always love Chuck Taylors. Not just because punk rock dudes wore them, but because... Bugs Bunny Bugs seemed Bunny's to be wearing Bugs Bunny's feet them. looked like Chuck Taylors, yeah. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our web and social media grand poobah. Kate Moose is executive producer, technical director this time around, Corey Shreppel. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation on a topic like that, yeah, it can be awkward, but Make It OK has tips on what to say, what not to say. It has stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at makeitok.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter. And hey, come visit us on Facebook. There is a lot of great conversation happening there with fellow thwadballs. New shows being formed over there. Lots of good chat. It's a good hang. And hey, if you're around St. Paul, Minnesota on October 13th, I got another good hang for you. We are doing a show, a live show, The Hilarious Night of Depression. And we're going to have Amy Mann, Paul F. Tompkins, Ted Leo, and Anna Marie Cox, and me, live on stage. We're going to have a lot of fun. So you can go to hilariousworld.org and find out more about that. On our next episode, adolescence can be a turbulent time. If you're in it, you know that. If you've been through it, tell me you remember that. But do you know what is normal turbulence and what's a mental health problem in need of attention? It's fine to be an introvert, um, but it's, it's concerning when someone who's introverted isn't doing anything um, and maybe just laying around, sleeping, you know, watching TV for hours on end. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Would you say I'm a sad clown? 
Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know 